helps us to be able. It, it's what allows your pastor to eat. I, I know he probably doesn't need to eat no more, but it at least allows him to eat. And, you know, regardless of what you think, everybody likes to eat, right? I mean, most of us do like to eat. It allows us to have the lights on today. Nobody else, if you don't do it, no one else will. We, we don't have some missions pouring into us. You are that. You are the church, and you're the ones doing that. We thank you so much for your giving. and Each week, you just are faithful in that, and we, we just appreciate it. Thank you for wonderful gift here that you've given to Bethany and myself, and we, we appreciate you thinking of us during this time of the year and, and, and blessing us. So I want, are you ready for the word? Anybody ready for the word today? Come on, are you really ready for the word today? You want the word of God? I really want to give you the word today. What's in my heart, what's burning in my spirit. And we're on the fourth installment. We're on the very last installment of this in the wilderness in here. Now we're doing a study on Wednesday nights. And if, you're, if you've missed that, uh, a John Bevere study, then you've missed a real true blessing. But we're in here doing one called Growing Through the Wilderness. This is number four. And we've talked about a lot of different things and different people in the Bible. And today I want to take uh, just a few moments to share with you if I can. And I know what time it is and I'm going to try to be mindful of time. But I want to take you to the book that uh, a lot of it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And that's the book of Kings or 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to go there in just a moment. When we think about wilderness, when you and I think about, we've given you these analogies. I told you about me being lost, about me feeling like I was lost, about it being a dark place, about it being a dry place. Uh, I watched a movie, or it was just not really a movie, but it was, a, 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 I guess, a, a remake of an old show back in, in, in a few years ago, and a guy went to Mexico and he wouldn't drink any of their water, not even what was bottled. He only wanted a specific brand. It had to be the specific brand. And it goes on for a day or so. Did you know that you can do a lot of things, but water is one of those things you can't live very long without? And I'm just going to tell you this this morning. You can come to church and go through the motions, and you can show up, and you can give your offerings and do a lot of things, but you can't, do very, you can't live very long spiritually without the refreshing of the Holy Spirit and the water that's represented in the Word of God. You've got to have that in your life. And so I'm just telling you today, thank God that we've got the refreshing of the Spirit of God in this place this morning. So the wilderness, it, it, it can be a feeling. And when you're going through it, it feels like somehow or another, maybe in this place you're abandoned. In this place, it's dry. In this place, I feel like that God has somehow moved away from my residence, lost my zip code, lost my phone number, and He doesn't know who I am. That's what a wilderness is. A wilderness can be a feeling and it can be a spiritual place. Now I want you to know before we get into this because we're going to talk about one of my favorite people in the Bible, a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah and I identify a lot because we go through a lot of the same things. He's a prophet, I'm a pastor or a preacher. And he went through a lot of things, not a, a lot of things that, uh, that, you and I, that I can identify with. Because he went through, not, I'm not talking about overthrowing a lot of false, uh, false prophets. I'm not talking about a lot of them. I'm talking about the feelings that he had. I've had those feelings. And being feeling like you're in a place where there's no way out is a desperate place to be in. But I want to tell you, however, on the upside of this, I believe that in a wilderness place, 
If you will listen closely, you can encounter the presence of God in every season of your life, even when it is a wilderness, even when it is a winter, even when it's darkest, even when it's the most cold. In this walk with God, there are ups and downs. If you got saved and you thought or your Christian experience was that you gave your heart to Christ and somehow or another that everything was going to be just grand, somebody lied to you. And if you walk to these altars today and give your heart to Jesus, I pray that if you don't know Him, you have that invitation at any moment in this service to walk forward. We'll stop this service and pray with you. But I want to be honest with you. It will not be everything's going to be hunky-dory, everything's going to be a bed of roses, and you're going to leave here and smell like roses. I'm telling you that this thing is a journey. And on a journey, there are ups and there are downs. It is not a bus ride that you get on to get off. I didn't get in it to give up. I didn't get in it to quit. I didn't get in it to back up. I didn't get in it to look around to the right or the left and try to make up my mind whether I was going to serve Jesus or not. I've been that path, and I don't want to go back. Come on, however long you live for God, you begin to learn and you begin to realize there are pieces of my past that I want nothing to do with anymore. Come on, somebody. There are always ups and downs. There are seasons of valleys. And I don't have to, you, you guys know the analogies of a valley. A valley is a place that you, between two mountains. But, but nine times out of ten, the valley is where those things that grow, grow. If it's flowers or it's grass or, it, or whatever it is, that's where it grows. But we don't like valleys because we feel like it's a low spot in our life. Come on, somebody. We want a mountaintop experience. We want an experience that somehow we get closer to God. We feel good. We've got money in our pocket. Church is good. The pastor's preaching somewhat decent. And everybody loves each other. Don't you wish every day was that way? But the truth of it is, we, we will not really gain momentum and go, grow closer to God in those moments because we know that we don't. It's in those moments we feel as though we don't need God as much. Come on, when you're going through a dark place in your life, you'll, you'll pray like you've never prayed before. When you don't have a job, you'll pray like you've never prayed before. You'll do things that you never, your kids aren't acting right. And, elf, and shelf on the elf, elf on the shelf ain't going to help him, whatever you call him. They are not acting right. Your teens are not doing what you would prefer for them to do. You've talked to them, but listen to me. When you go through those moments of the valley, don't miss the opportunities that that's when God is trying to grow something through you. He's trying to do something in your life to give you the strength that you're going to need for the journey ahead. Because just as I said earlier, this is not a bus ride. It is a journey. There are bumps. There are potholes. There are ups, but there are surely downs. But the same God that is God on the mountain is the same God that's a God in the valley. He's the same God in the darkest part of my life. He's the same God when I'm standing in the cave. He's the same God when I cannot find my way. He promised me he would be God. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus went through the wilderness. I, I've just got, I got verses I'm going to give you, so just hang with me. But I want to share this with you. Jesus went through the wilderness. The Bible says that Jesus, God's son, was baptized by John the Baptist. The Bible says that, that 
in a real visible way, a dove came down in a physical form, set upon him a voice, a, a voice from the Lord, a confirmation from God, said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to tell you something, I went out and preached. Come on, somebody. Start a, a social media feed. Let's get, the, let's get the conferences going. I mean, Jesus, look at this. The Bible doesn't say that's what happened. The Bible says after he was baptized, these things happened, that he was sent into the wilderness. And if you'll read your Bibles, it says by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we don't like to think of that, but the Bible says that he went into the wilderness. God's pleased with him. The Spirit of the Lord has descended upon him, but he goes into the wilderness. This is Luke chapter 4. If you want to read that later. Wilderness experiences often follow mountaintop experiences. Wilderness experiences often follow mountaintops. Just as sure as you get in a, on a mountaintop experience and everything's good in your life, believe me, there can come some really trying times after that. Normally you find a mountain, but there is a valley between that one mountain and the next. That's because you can be on the mountain one day or the next day and in the valley the next, but just as sure there is another mountain to climb and He is the same God. Some of, your, some of you have found yourself in that place in your own life. Somebody has broken your trust. Maybe you're in a financial wilderness and you're trying to get out, but it, it seems like nothing is working. You're trying to figure your way out of this dry and desperate place, but nothing seems to work. Can I tell you that God is working even in the middle of that place? Don't ever forget that. I, I know that seems maybe a little bit, maybe cliche that God's working in the middle of a situation that you're in, but I need you to understand this. God's promises in His Word, which we talked about the week before, I'm telling you, He cannot lie. And if God cannot lie, the very things that He has told you and promised to you, you need to stand on those promises. But hear me, there is a process that you must go through. And a process is the thing we don't like. A process is the hard thing. If you're going to plant a garden, there's a groundbreaking that has to take place. If you've never planted there before, you've got to break ground. And even if you did, you normally have to go back the next season and break ground again. And that's not easy, especially if you're doing it with a line and a mule and a breaking plow. Pastor, you don't know nothing about that. Hey, don't, don't discount me. I've watched a lot of it for sure in East Tennessee. But hear me, when the, when the garden is planted or when the, when the ground is planted, the seed is put in. And you know when the seed is dropped in, for most of us we think that the work is over with. But if you're planting big enough place, you've got to depend on God to give you water for an increase. Are you with me? That seed will try. It may even break forth from that ground, but without the moisture that it continually needs, it will not flourish. It will not grow the way that it needs to. And that's why in Mark's gospel, the Bible says that a farmer sows. He sows the seed, the blade springs forth, and then the New King James says, but he knows not how. He don't know how. I've often 
and said that I really believe the reason that is is because it's not my business to know how. It's God's business. He just told me to sow. He just told me to plant. So even in my dark days, I'm still going to plant. Even in the tough times, I'm going to dig the ditch. I'm still going to believe that God's able to provide in all of that. So I want to share with you a story. I'm getting to the scripture. I'm going to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. By one of my favorite people in the Bible, a man by the name of Elijah. He's a prophet who has been on the mountaintop. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory in just a moment. He's, he has been on the mountaintop, but finds himself in a wilderness. The Bible says that he is in a wilderness, and he's depressed. You've heard a lot of people say, I'm too blessed to be depressed. Hear me. You can be Christian and you can be saved and be depressed. That's being honest with you. I can be cliche with you and say I'm too blessed to be stressed and I would be lying to you. Ask my wife about Friday afternoon how stressed I was. Ask her if you got about 30 minutes for her to tell you how stressed I was. And in those moments, things come to you and go through your mind that you, you don't like. And the more you feed on being distressed and stressed, the enemy will just tell you. He will feed all of that to you. You're just, you're, you're useless. You're washed up. You're no good. Pastor, do you really battle with these things? Is the sky normally blue on most mornings? I'm just here to tell you, I'm being honest with you. Pastor John, as he stood here last week, and some of you heard him say that, and we thank God that he came by, and I, we were texting yesterday, and I said, man, it's 78 degrees here, and he said, and I'm battling a snowstorm here. I said, look at that. Can I tell you that life can be that way? It can be sunny one day, and you can be snowed under the next, especially if you live in Mississippi. And he said, up here, I'm in a different season of my life. I know that I am. I, it's different than when I come here on overflow. And I knew that. I knew that before even overflow. We had had a lot of conversations. And I'm telling you all of this is there was a space that he was going through uh, 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 that I know was a personal wilderness experience. You say, well, pastor, I heard of it overflow. I didn't know all of that. I, I didn't get all of that. I'm going to tell you something. Most people never see it in a prophet. They never know it in a pastor because they don't live where we live. And that's from one Sunday to the next. And the things that happen between sometimes can absolutely either build you up or take you out. Believe me. You're not dealing with your own, just your own problems. You're dealing with not even the 100 or 150 in your church. You're dealing with theirs and more. And you're trying to figure out how you can help somebody else while you feel like you're bleeding on the inside. Come on, somebody. I'm being real with you. See, a lot of preachers, you go, you hear preachers and they preach on TV and they got it all jacked up and you don't know all of this stuff because they don't tell you until they crumble, until they come down and something drastic happens and then somebody will have the gumption to say, well, I saw that coming. I knew they couldn't be all of that in a bag of chips. Let me tell you something. If you will pray for people like you ought to pray and pray for pastors and pray for those people that are called to the church body and dig in and help, quit telling yourself, well, I've done enough in the church 
church. I don't need to do anything else. My God, get off of your lazy self and pick up something and help because somebody needs you in the body of Christ. If you don't, it's you that's losing out. I, I, this, I'm telling you, Elijah, and I identify, 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2, look at this. When Ahab got home, Ahab's a king. He is wicked, more wicked than anybody ahead of him. The bad part is he's got a wife. You know, they say behind every good man, there's a good woman. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In this case, behind a wicked king was even a more wicked woman, according to the Bible. Ahab got home. He told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. And I'll tell you about that in just a moment, including the way that he had killed the prophet. There's a lot of preachers say 450 prophets, but if you read the Bible, you're going to find out it was 850. There were 450 of Baal and eight, uh, 400 of another group. So Jezebel sent the, this message to Elijah. This is the prophet. This is the preacher. May the gods, not God, the little g gods, strike me and even kill me if this time by tomorrow I have not killed you just like you killed them. She's mad. There's a lot that could be said here, but to give you the context of the story, just a little bit of the backstory, is there's a, this man by the name of Elisha is hated by this evil king named Ahab. Ahab was the one who had Naboth killed for his vineyard. Anybody remember that story? He wanted the vineyard so bad he finally had him killed and taken. He had done a lot of evil things. Elijah was the one they kept calling him a troublemaker as a prophet. The reason he was called a troublemaker as a prophet was because he would speak truth from God and it would happen. You know what? We need more people to speak truth from God and it come to than people who are who are soft peddling, soft soaping, and just want to tell something good so everybody shows up. You know what? You can only appease a certain amount of people for so long. You can only make a certain amount of people happy for so long. But I'm going to tell you something. I want it to be in my life as a pastor for somebody, nobody to ever be able to stand before God in heaven and say, you know what, that preacher didn't tell the truth. He told us a lie, that it was easy to get to heaven, that everything would be great in your life. That I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm telling you, if you're going to serve God, you're going to face battles. But I'd rather serve God, oh, come on, somebody, in a wilderness experience than to serve the devil on a mountaintop every day in my life. Come on. I got three points and a prayer to get to. Let me, let me try to hurry here. The Bible says that he... He came in and he said, she said, may the God strike you. And, and the Bible says that Elijah was called a troublemaker because he had called for a drought. He did that because the Lord had told him. And if you know the truth behind the story, and I preached on this probably in last year about the fact that the widow fed him, that the ravens brought him food. God told him where to go so that he would get food, and he provided for him. Even in the middle of the worst situations, God can provide for you. Even when the world seems to be falling apart and everybody else don't know what to do, God can provide and will provide for you. Look at what it says. Ahab built a temple or he, he, he declared the, the drought, Elijah did, because Ahab built in the temple of Samaria, a temple in Samaria and they worshipped the idol Baal, which made God mad. God was totally upset. And Ahab had been after Elijah now for several years. 
And the Bible says that a showdown comes on this Mount called Carmel. And when he gets on the top of Mount Carmel, they, they basically say, let the God who, who's going to show up here today, because it was a God between, it was a showdown, not between Elijah and the prophets, but between the God who would answer by fire. I'm glad that I got a God that will answer by fire. If you know the story, the story goes that there are these prophets, and Elisha says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go first. They bring their sacrifices. They cut them in two. They put them on the altar. They dig, uh, they dig ditches around them. All these different things. Or they put them on the altar. They call out to their gods for a long time. Nothing happens. It gets about lunchtime or later, and, and, and Elijah is making fun of them. He's saying, you know what? I mean, a lot of things. Maybe your, maybe your God took a nap. Maybe your God is on the white throne in the bathroom. I mean, he was, he was taunting them because he knew the God that he served could answer. So he let them have their time. And finally, to make this story, the backstory of what Elijah has just come from, he's on a mount called Carmel. To let you know what happens, the Bible says that Elisha says, enough is enough, y'all clear away. And the Bible says he rebuilt the altar. In other words, he would not even sacrifice on the altars they had built to a God called Baal. I'm preaching better than some of y'all are helping me, but hear me. And he had them put the sacrifices, the halves of the sacrifices. They dug a ditch around the altars, brought in barrels of water. They drenched the sacrifices. They drenched the ditches around it to basically say, if God burns this sacrifice, it must be something else. And the Bible says that Elisha called for the God who answers by fire. And when God who answers by fire accepted the sacrifice that Elijah had put on the altar, it took the sacrifice, the altar, the stone, and licked up all the water. And Elisha made a decree, we'll serve this God. This is God. Now, you've got to understand, if you'd have just had that kind of a revival service, would you not be shouting? Would you not be rejoicing? Would you not be saying, hey, look at what God can do. God can do anything. He answered our prayers. But hear me. God gets to the place that now that's over. He's off of the mountain. And let me take you down to verse 3 and 4 and tell you two, three words or four words that he says. Verse 3, after this experience, Elijah is afraid and flees for his life. He's running. He goes to Beersheba, down to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, some of us think, okay, he just took off on foot, and he walked to the end of Oak Park, and he was out of that. No, if you read the scriptures and do a little bit of the study, he ran over 100 miles, or he, he went over a 100-mile journey. It's a long way. He flees the town. He leaves his servant behind. Look at verse 4. Then he went alone. Where did he go? He went to the wilderness. Traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed there that he might just have some rest. No. The Bible says that he prayed that he might die. Remember what I told you? Some people will never know what you're going, you will sit on a sit in a row of chairs with people and never really realize a lot of times what's going on. That's why small groups are important. That's why you need to be connected into one. That's why you need to spend time with somebody other than just your spouse 
or just your kids. You need to be connected with a small group in the church because there are times there are people that are in this church that are going through it and the pastor may hear it, the pastor's wife might hear it, some of the deacons may hear it, but some of you may never know. And all they need is somebody just to say, hey, I'm here with you, you're not alone. The Bible says he stepped down. And then look at this. This is the words that I really stood out to me in these verses. I have had enough, Lord. Anybody else ever prayed that? He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He is in major depression mode. And I know that the Bible uh, teaches us and that he ran a long way and he goes alone into the wilderness. He sits down under a solitary broom tree and prays, Lord, I just want to die. I've had enough. I, I, don't, I can't take anymore. I've had enough. I have been to that place in my life. Look at me. I have been to that place in my life. I said, God, I, I, can't, I can't take this anymore. It's killing me on the inside. It's breaking me apart in the middle. I don't even know what to do about it. But to tell you, because my wife doesn't understand it. I can tell her, but she doesn't understand it. Come on, somebody. I, I can tell somebody above me, and they don't understand it. I can tell somebody below me, and they don't understand it. They'll tell me that they'll pray for me, but I still feel like, God, I'm not going to get out of this. I don't know what to do, Lord. I have had enough. I, I know that I've said those words, and prophets have as well. Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I can't take it anymore. Some of you have spoken those words after incidents in your own life. And, and most of us know, you, some of you, it's because you've worked hard. And financially, you're trying to get ahead. And if something else in your life breaks, come on, somebody. See, the air conditioner that broke during the summertime, you forgot about it until yesterday. Some of you that the heater broke back in the wintertime, you remembered it when we all started getting all this cold weather. You didn't fill up your gas tank or whatever it was that you needed to do. And you know what? A lot of it is not. I had to say this to somebody on the phone before church this morning. They said, the devil's just after me. And I said, the devil's not just after you. What they were telling me was simply life coming after you. And life can come at you so fast sometimes that you don't even know what to do. You know what I'm talking about? I, just real quick. I'm an old school TV person. If I'm going to watch TV, and I don't take a lot of time, my wife want to watch, you know, Hallmark's on right now. But anybody ever remember, not just Andy Griffith. If we got any Andy Griffith fans, praise God for you people. We love you. You guys are going to heaven. Jesus' name. <laughs> what about I love Lucy? Come on now. Ain't nobody can do it like Lucy could. Lucy could come up with some concocts and stuff, but every time I think about life coming at you too fast, what do you think about? The chocolate factory. Lucy's working at a chocolate factory. They're coming down. She's supposed to be packaging them, and she starts, because it's getting so fast, I know it's so funny, she's, it's getting so fast, she starts putting them in her mouth. She can't package them and put them in her mouth fast enough because it's coming at her so quick. Can I tell you something? Life can be that way. 
and it ain't always good when it's coming at you that way. But I want you to know something. Just as sure as life comes at you that way, you can, you can just stop and whisper a name that said and promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. It is the name of Jesus, and the Bible says he would be there. And when you don't know what to do, he knows what to do. Come on, somebody. He knows how to help you. When you can't help yourself, he can help you. Amen. You feel that way. It's just coming at you. Your, your kid's keeping you on the edge. I, don't, I know none of you have ever done this. I remember hearing a story one time about a, a guy, his wife. Uh, some of you, if I said it tonight, some of you, would, or this morning, you would have these pictures in your mind. But have you ever wanted to? And I know there's some mothers here that you've gotten so pushed over the edge that you wanted to speak the words of, uh, of Jezebel from your mouth. By this time and tomorrow, you will die. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, it's, oh, you, you had it. You don't know what else to do. They're your kids, and you love them, but you really want to kill one or two of them. Now, I want to share with you something. When I give that to you, hear this. Prior to all of this, Elijah has known the power, the protection, and the provision of God. The power of God showed up in his life. The, the protection of God had been over him. All of these things, the provision, how do you know that? The Bible says that he stood down King Ahab for well over three years. He kept him at bay. He kept him away. We know that the ravens came and fed him when he didn't have any food. Listen, it wasn't just the land that was in a drought. It wasn't just the land that was in a famine. He was too, but God provided a way even while everybody else seemed to be going down. Elijah was still being fed. Are you with me? The Bible says that not only did Elisha do that, but he raised the widow woman's uh, little boy from the dead. In the middle of all of these circumstances, he stood down 850 false prophets of Baal, called fire from heaven, and, it and God answered him. He destroyed the false prophets and asked God, look at this, give us a cloud. I don't have time for the whole story, but some of you have heard the story. Give us, Lord, we need rain now, because God said there's going to be some rain. I need some rain. So he sends his servant. Several times, and his servant would go look. Isn't it? This is this is the way I want to do to Hannah. Now, you know, Hannah, go look. Go see what we got up there. You know, I've been praying, and I know there ought to be something coming. And, and they come back, and the servant would come back and say, You know what? I don't see anything. There's nothing. And a lot of you have been that way in your life. I don't see anything, God. There's nothing. Lord, you promised it, but it isn't happening. And, and, and Elijah, she would come, or he would come back. I'm talking about Hannah now. But come back, and he'd say, go back. Go back and look again. He would pray some more. And he did that several times. And finally, the last time, this is just the, the digested version of the story. He would come back. And when he come back the next time, he said, tell me what you saw. And the, the, the servant said, you know what? I saw a cloud. A cloud, not very big one, about the size of a man's hand. Can I tell you something? In the middle of your situation, in the driest places of your life, in the most barren places of your life, the most difficult places of your life, all you need is the hope of God that says, I don't see much, but I do see his hand. I do believe that he's there. I do believe that he hasn't left me. I do believe there's hope because I see it. Can I tell you something? What we've got to learn to do is begin to walk by faith because there's going to be times that you don't even see it but you still got to believe it you still got to believe that God is more powerful he can do anything that he 
said he would do, and he never breaks his promises. We're walking in, believing, and living in the promises of God. I will not give up. Amen. So look at this. He says, I've had enough. I've had enough, God. All of these miracles that he's had, and one angry woman with a threat. One angry woman with a threat. For some of you that have read your Bibles, you know that Proverbs says it would be better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a brawling woman or with a, with a woman who's all the time. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Elijah's not just tired. He's spiritually depleted. Can I tell you how you know the difference? I need everybody to look here. There have been times in my life that I knew that I was just tired. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The way you can tell, there's a difference between spiritually depleted and physically tired. Listen to this. Listen to this. If Elijah, Elijah was just physically tired, he could have laid down, or you can, and get up and feel in about 30 minutes to an hour once you got a break. If you, but you're going to find out in the scriptures that when he laid down, the nap wouldn't fix what Elijah had going on in his life. There's some of us that a nap won't fix it. You need spiritual refueling. You, you need a time of refreshing, a time of renewing. And I'm going to tell you the only way that comes is from the presence of God. It's getting in his presence and saying, God, I've tried everything else. I've laid down, took multiple naps. God, I just, I don't even know what to do, but I still feel like I'm exhausted. He needed that. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. I know we read this. But he was sleeping and, and an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. That, that's spiritual there. Get up and eat. He looked around and beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Ain't that something? Now, he didn't bake the bread. The Bible doesn't say that he baked the bread. He's been taking it out. But there is a, uh, it's on the thing. He is doing that. He's eating that. Look, or he, he sees it, baked bread, water. And then it, look at what it says. So he ate and drank and he laid down. I wrote in my notes, he hit the snooze button. Y'all know about that. The most spiritual thing that most of us can do at times of being physically exhausted is just rest. My wife will tell me, and you guys have heard, some of you have heard me say this, Tony, you need to go, you need to go to bed. And I'll say, I've got too much to do to go to bed. I got to go to bed. Tony, you need to go to bed. And I know that we're talking about physical rest, but I need you to hear something. Physical rest and faith are connected. The times that you will become most vulnerable in your life is in the times that you are physically exhausted, which brings you spiritual vulnerability.
that's why, and we don't have time to go there today, but, you know, the Bible says that God rested. You know, I read that again this week because I'm starting my Bible reading all over again. We're getting right at the first of the year. I started reading again in Genesis, and you know what I found? That one version doesn't just say that he rested. It says that, and God quit. Meaning that, or he stopped. When he created the heavens and the earth and everything that was in it, his final thing he did was he didn't just keep working and say he was taking a day of rest. The Bible says he stopped. And a lot of us, like myself, you've worked hard all of your life. I'm telling you, all of my life, I have worked hard. I, I've told my wife one day, I said, I think I, just got the, I think I just got the lazies. And she said, Tony, there will never, ever be anybody ever be able to say about you, you're lazy. You don't ever stop. And you know what the truth of it is? I have learned that when I am spiritually depleted, usually I am physically exhausted because when fatigue walks in, faith walks out. And sometimes the most spiritual thing that you and I can do is just get some rest. It's just dismissed. Let me, let, let me move on. Number two here real quick. We don't have long, and I've got to finish here. 1 Kings 19, 7 through 9. Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be soon done. So he got up and he ate and he drank the food, gave him enough strength for the travel for 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai and the mountain of God. Now he's back at a mountain. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Look at my Bible, and I left this in here. It, it doesn't say it on the screen, but the heading above this says, The Lord, yes it does, the Lord speaks, I think it does, mountain of the Lord. There he came to a cave. No, it doesn't say that. All right. I thought it was in italics. The Lord speaks to Moses. First time we hear this, in all of this, in a, some time. But look at this. But the Lord said to him, look at this. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this place? And Elijah, he's asking the question to him. He says, why are you here? And this is where Elijah begins to put the voice of every parent into play. I don't know, God. The whiny, but you don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all done this. Some of you have. Some of you men don't want to admit it. I don't know why I'm here, God. I've served you all these days. I've loved you. I've done everything I know to do, God. And they have all quit. Everybody here has quit. Listen to this. Look at verses 19. Uh, verses 10 out of chapter 19. Elijah said, I've been so zealous for you, Lord. I've served you, the Lord God Almighty. But these people of Israel have broken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. And I, me, only me, I'm the only one left who loves you, serves you, has given their life for you, and they've gone quiet. Anybody ever felt that way? He found himself in a spiritual wilderness whining to God. Like a lot of times we tend to do when we get into a place that it's hurting so bad that we cannot see beyond our own need. Most of us can't see past our problems and we're challenged because we think somehow or another God has abandoned us when we need him most. This is worth writing down. Your greatest need in your life can be your best gift when it teaches you to trust God. 
greatest need can become your best gift when it teaches you to trust God. Many of us just need to learn to trust. We just need to trust Him. Look at what verses 11 and 12 says. Go out, stand before the mountain. This is the Lord speaking to him. And Elijah goes out. He stands at the mouth of this cave. Now, I've got to hurry to get my story off. And while he's standing there, uh, he, there's, a, there's such a terrible blast. There's an earthquake or a shaking that comes, and the rocks are torn loose. But the Lord was not in that wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord's not in this earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't even in the fire. Is everybody there with me? Are y'all there with me? And after that, there was a sound, all of this stuff going on. You got your you got your y'all ready? I'm gonna find out who I got. I got the earth, the wind. Some of y'all told on yourself. And you remember. Way before they were a band. Some of them kids get mad at me now. Way before they were a band. God talks about it in the Word. All of these things came together, and he was, he was asking Elijah this one question, what are you doing here? And I want you to notice, look at this. God wasn't in any of the remarkable things. I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. God was in the very ordinary way. I'm going to say something here. It's going to sound almost, just help me. Because I thought about it. Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled people are the worst. Pastor, you shouldn't say that. I am one, have been one for well over 40 years of my life. I can say that. We are the worst about believing that if in a service there isn't some kind of shout, some kind of shaking, and some kind of fire that God's not there. It's true, it's good. It's good, it's exciting. But daddy would say something to me and he would say, son, all of those things are for, my daddy could sling sweat four roses like an announcer. Just for every priest, he could do that. And then he would preach, and I'm telling you, cast devils out, do everything that needed to be done before the service and didn't have an altar workers and didn't have a lot of the other things while kids were napping under the chairs. That was my daddy. But he would be the first one to tell you in his experience of Pentecostalism that after the shout, after the shaking, after the fire, how straight do your feet walk when you hit the ground? Because you can speak in tongues around this altar, but if you're cursing in that parking lot, you had not done a whole lot of good. A lot of truth to that. So as I wind this down, I want you to hear something. Just an analogy here. It's mine. I'm going to preach it the way I want to. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. The Bible says he called Elisha out to the edge of the cave, asking what he was doing there, let him see those things. And the very last thing that he heard was a whisper.
nobody here believes that unless you talk to me on the phone. Your, your, your voice is low. My dad was the same way. It's okay. Let God listen to you. There's a reason. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here. There's a reason he does it. Because they don't listen to you. They don't listen to you. take you having to shut down Facebook and social media. When I was, when we were, and I'm closing with this, um, when we, Beth and I married and our kids, we came here, our kids were seven, eight, and ten. Now 28, 24, this unwritten rule in our house. Now, if you do this, please don't think I'm, this is what we did. This was at the Winkler Hut. That was also a name we had when we couldn't afford to go get anything to eat. Like the kids wanted to go after church, we'd tell them we were going to the Winkler Hut. It'd take them until we got about halfway to the house when they were little to figure out that was the house. We had this unwritten rule can't sleep in mom and daddy's bed and so if you, they do that's you know that's between you and your family this is what we did and I want to tell you this because this is something I remember so on south Mississippi we'd have these thunderstorms the first one I went through after I moved from Baton Rouge to Mississippi it, I was living in a little 400 square foot house on block east Tennessee we don't get storms like y'all get in south Mississippi and Baton Rouge and they're loud and it would shake that house and it was enough to unnerve me and I was about 19 years old at the time so when we'd have storms we had this unwritten rule the kids you know you couldn't sleep with us and isn't it amazing that you may have found this that you can wake up after a storm and find them not in your bed but as close as they can get to you In your storms, he's just as close as a midget on a sailboat. You just got to trust him with it. Get just as close as you can. 
On the mountain, you're going to rejoice. You're going to have great times. But in that wilderness, sometimes it's just a whisper. It's all you can do. But you got to listen to him. He has to speak to you. Will you bow with me? Father, we love you today. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I thank you that you said in your word that you were close to the brokenhearted. And Lord, I'd rather stand on a Lord stand in the wilderness with you than on a mountain without you. I thank you today that you've called us into this time.